We're going to be looking at John 11 and John 20 this morning. And at two deaths and two resurrections. Let's look at John 11. I'll begin reading in verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And now let's turn over to John chapter 20. I'm getting ready in verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will, I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that He had said these things to her. Lord Jesus, we need this message this morning. Three boys in this room lost their brother this week to yet another shooting and more violence. There are more grandchildren that lost their grandmother. There are many more stories that 
I don't know about. We are all facing the reality of death and curse in this life. And we need you to open our eyes to the beauty of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the very central hope of our faith. Oh, Father, we believe, but help us in our unbelief. Use your word in the next few minutes to open the eyes of our hearts and the ears of our hearts to see and hear the truth of Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, would you be exalted in this place? Would you help us to think new and better thoughts of you? Would you show us our sin? Would you convict us of our unbelief? Would you show us where we've been weak in our lives, where we've given in, where we have fallen to temptation? And would you lead us into faithfulness as you lead us into belief? Oh God, we pray that the devil would be bound and that your spirit would be let loose in this room. That we, your church, would believe and the world would come asking, What has happened to those people? Lord Jesus, would you do it for the glory of your Son and the good of your children? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We all love a cause, don't we? We love a cause, and every cause has a hero that we can rally toward. Someone who has given greatly and someone who has sacrificed that that the cause might be advanced. You think about childhood cancer. They have St. Jude. St. Jude has Danny Thomas. You think of college basketball. I don't know if that's a cause, but I love college basketball, so I'm going to use it as an illustration. Uh, We used to have Florida Gulf Coast, but they got eliminated. Now we have Wichita State. We all love, I mean, all the SEC teams, all the good teams are gone. So we've got to like somebody. We like the the one who is the underdog. So let's go the Shockers, Wichita State. We had uh, the Miami Heat this week, or the NBA did, but most of us were glad that the Bulls knocked them off. In Memphis, we have the Grizzlies, and the Grizzlies have Mark Gasol and Tony Allen and Zebo. We've got a great team, and we're moving toward the playoffs. If you're more into politics, then maybe you're a Democrat, and you say, well, my man is Barack Obama. If you're a Republican, you say, well, I don't know who you say your man is. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, Tough time for you Republicans, I guess. <laughs> causes unite, but causes also divide. And we saw that yesterday, didn't we? In downtown Memphis, the KKK, who even knew those guys were still around, rallied for their cause. But did you see what happened? Immediately, another rally started. The heart of Memphis, people came together and said, we're going to stand against Because that's what causes do. Democrats are divided from Republicans, Republicans from Democrats. Grizzly fans are divided from every other team's fans. And that's just how it goes. Because causes unite, but causes divide. And so do you understand that if we're going to have real world peace, if we're going to have a movement of peace... And unity, not just in, in, in this part of Memphis, and not just in Memphis overall, or the state of Tennessee, or the Mid-South, or in the United States, but if we're going to have real unity in the world, then we have to have a, a universal cause that resonates with all of us, and we've got to rally 
around a common hero who sacrifices and advances the good of the cause. And that's what we have in Christianity. We have the cause and its death. And we have the hero and his name is Jesus. We see it in these two passages. Lazarus, Jesus' good friend, dies. He's in the tomb for four days. And yet Jesus shows up and He raises him from the dead. Have you ever stood there and looked at a loved one who is dead? Have you wished with everything in you that someone had the power to change what had happened? That's what Jesus did. And then Jesus shows that He doesn't just have power to raise people, but then He went in the tomb for three days and He was raised. And then He had the audacity to say, whoever believes in Me will live, even though He dies. And he who lives and believes in Me will never die. It will be as if you never died, even though your body might go into the ground, even though you might taste death, you won't eat death. Or death won't eat you because you will rise again. You will go and be with Christ and one day you'll be united to your body. That is ridiculous unless it's true. I mean, we are all fools in this place. It's what Paul said. If the dead are not raised... But, if the dead are raised. You see, the the resurrection of Jesus has been and has always been the very center of the Christian message. If you go to the early sermons in the book of Acts, what you see is that they weren't proactive, but they were reactive. The people of God were rejoicing. They were responding to something that had happened. And the world comes and knocks on the door and says, what has happened to you people? It's like Paul's preaching in in, uh, the book of Acts, chapter 10. They come and they ask, what in the world's going on? And Paul says this, they killed him. They killed Jesus by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. This wasn't some psychological message. This wasn't some sentimental message. This was historic intellectual reality to Paul and to the early church. And that was the central message. But that has not been the central message in the church in our day. If you look at evangelistic presentations, very few of them even talk about the resurrection. What do we talk about? Accept Jesus that He might forgive you of your sins. And that is not to, I'm not demoting the, the, the finished work of Christ in atoning for our sins, but what I am saying is, if all Jesus did was die, then our sins are not forgiven. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. But if He was raised, then we're a people of hope. Do you see that? Do you see we are a people of hope? And yet are we? (laughs) This, This message this morning is for those of you who say you believe. Now, those of you in this room that have been manipulated, coaxed, begged, pleaded to be here today... Uh, the person that brought you probably thought that you needed to hear this message, but I want you to know that I'm, I'm, I'm steering this message to somebody else. And that's the person that brought you. Because here's my question to the church. If we really believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then why isn't the world knocking on our door and saying, what has happened to you people? Can they tell anything's happened? 
Good. So I believe the church, we are the ones that need to believe the gospel. And so let's look at it. We really do prove our lack of faith in the resurrection by three things. First, we we prove our lack of faith in the resurrection when we refuse to embrace the reality of death. We show that we really don't believe the resurrection when we refuse to embrace how dark and dreary and hopeless death and suffering and injustice is in our world. There's a lot around us. And we have to work hard to deny it. I have three friends right now who are wrestling with cancer and coming toward the end of that wrestling. Three friends. I have the wife of another friend who is struggling with cancer and in cancer treatment. The wife of Brad Baker, Marsha Baker, went home to be with the Lord this week way too early. Brad Baker is brought young life to Memphis, and his wife, Marsha, came down with a brain tumor, malignant brain tumor, and she died this past week. Miss Tina Houston, grandmother to several children in our church, Uh, succumbed to her illness and sickness and died. And I stood there Thursday at her funeral, and I watched the family grieving. And I thought, you know, I hate death. And yet there's nothing more effective to bringing reality to life than death. See, we're all trying to just kind of avoid it. We're all trying to act like it's just not going to happen to us. It's not going to, it's not going to touch us. We're all trying to avoid it. And yes, when it comes, we can't avoid it. That's why funerals are just very uncomfortable. Because you have people that don't even believe in God talking about God. Because what else are you going to talk about when you're standing there looking at somebody and you know they're not getting up again? Death. And yet as soon as the funeral's over, we get on a fast track toward our blessed state of denial. While it's happening, we we go in a couple of extremes. We try to sentimentalize it. We take the Lion King approach. You know, it's just the circle of life. Simba, you know, it's just natural. It's a healthy thing. We die, our bodies go into the ground, we become fertilizer. Isn't that happy? No, that's hopeless. If that's the only hope we have, why are we here this morning? We do that, or we kind of we kind of go the other way, kind of the Hollywood way, the the Wall or the um, well, we go the way of Revlon. We dress our dead up. I mean, we put makeup on them. We, we try to make them look as good as they possibly can, and we walk by and we say things. Oh, don't they look good? They've never looked better. Really? I hope if I've never looked better when I'm in the, you know, when I'm in the box, I, mean, I hope that's not true. I mean, if that's what I have to wait for to look better than I do now, that's not a lot of hope. And yet that's what we do. And then we say things as we're going through things. Oh, it's going to be okay. We don't really believe that, but we don't know what else to say. Everything's going to work out. Really? It, everything doesn't work out in this life, people. Uh, 
Your life can be ruined in a sense. In a heartbeat. Death is unavoidable. Went to see Marlon Hale. He's here this morning. I can't believe he's here. He was shot, I think, Monday night. He just simply went to go visit a friend. And some guys thought he didn't belong in their hood or their part of town or this apartment complex. So they shot him and the bullet went through his back, kind of down here, came out his stomach. And even the doctors were amazed that he was alive. (laughs) I mean, death was that close. It's all around us. And yet we avoid it and we act like it's okay. And it's not just physical death, it's spiritual death, it's intellectual death, it's emotional death. When God told Adam and Eve that when they eat the fruit of the tree from, uh, the, the tree from which He forbade them uh, to eat from, He said what? You will surely what? Die. And He didn't just mean it physically, He meant it in every way. He meant creation would come under a curse and everything would move toward decomposition. Chaos, death, hurting, pain, injustice, violence, everything. This world is under a curse, and if you don't see it, open your eyes. But do you understand that the church is unwilling to open its eyes? Why? Because we prove that we really don't believe that we have hope. Now, this may sound odd. And some of you are probably saying, Richard, I thought Easter was was supposed to be happy. Just wait. It's coming, I promise. But here's my point. If we don't embrace the full extent of darkness, if we don't embrace the full extent of the curse that is around us, the curse that is impacting us, and the curse that's impacting those we love, and impacting those we don't even know, if we are unwilling to embrace the reality of the curse of death that God promised on His creation then we're going to take a flashlight to the fight when what we need is the power of the sun itself. We're going to be saying little, little things and we're going to find ourselves losing hope when, when we accidentally or you know, we unavoidably kind of brush up next to death or brush up next to suffering. or you know, We're not going to know how to deal with it. And yet the people of God, those who have hope, can deal with anything Because if Jesus rose from the dead, we will rise from the dead. If His body was made new, everything will be made new. And therefore, we of all people can say, you're right, it's horrible, but just wait. I will walk with you, but just wait. I will stand with you. I will help you shoulder it. We can't do it alone, but we're waiting. You see, that's what Paul was doing in Romans. The church was under tremendous persecution, lots of death, people losing their jobs, tremendous injustice. Those in power were were oppressing the people of God. And you know what Paul did? He came and he said, Akuna Matata. It's a wonderful thing. No. Listen to what he says in Romans 8. For the creation. You know what the creation is? Everything. Everything that you experience, everything that you see waits in eager expectation for for one day when the children of God will be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay 
and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Now, woman in labor, it's hard to, to, to live as if you're not in pain, without drugs at least, right? It is pain. That's why Paul uses this illustration. Groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to today. Not only so, but we ourselves, who? The people of God. We have the first fruits of the Spirit because Jesus was raised. And yet we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Paul said creation is groaning and we and as we experience the pain of living in a fallen world, we are not to live in, to, in denial. But we are to say, yes, the world is groaning and we groan with it. Do you know when you need to be worried about someone who's sick? It's when they stop groaning. When they give up. They say, death, take me. But it's those who are fighting that you're like, well, I'll fight with you. And what do we tell our friends when they get cancer, when they get, we're going to fight with you. We're going to be right there. Let's go at it together. Why? We're groaning against it. It's the enemy. And we groan against it. And that's what the people of God are to do, but that's not what the church of God has done. But what we have done is we have insulated ourselves from the world. We've made church anything and, and everything opposite of groaning. We've made it about program. We've made it about, you know, the church meeting my needs. We're not a people who groan anymore. The rich move further out of town to get away from the poor so they don't have to groan. And yet Jesus said, it's because you don't believe the resurrection. Because if you believe the resurrection, then you will draw near to those who are hurting. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. In Isaiah 50, what we see, it's a beautiful, beautiful sight. In Isaiah 50, verses 6 through 7, we have this prophecy of Jesus. And he said, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting because the sovereign Lord helps me. I will not be disgraced. Why? Why could he go through all he went through? Because he knew that the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth would not abandon him. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. Why? Because he knew that even if he died, the Father would raise him up. Do you understand? You have that same hope. And if you believe it, then how you practically live that out is you say, let me see the suffering of the world around me. I can get in the most dangerous place. But what can they do to me? They kill me, I go directly to the presence of Jesus. Hallelujah. This is what Paul said in Philippians 1. He said, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or used to his own benefit, his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Why could he do that? Because he knew God would raise him. Do you understand that, that your God can raise you? Then we need to be a people 
with hurting people around us, we can move toward them and we can say, let us hurt with you, let us groan with you, because one day, someday, we're going to be raised and this is going to be over. All the injustice that you're facing will be done away with because our Jesus is coming to make all things new. And so I can endure a life of joblessness. I can endure a life of singleness and loneliness. I can endure a a life with no children. I can endure a a life of, of aloneness and abandonment. Why? Because one day, someday, my Jesus said, I will live and I will live in glory. But does the church believe that today? We don't have to have heaven on earth and every heaven we try to build on earth it just becomes our own hell. There's only one heaven. And Jesus is the one who's preparing it. So church, we need to show the world we believe in the resurrection. We believe that there will be a new heaven and a new earth by going out into the world and working to that end. Groaning with them. Secondly, we prove our lack of faith in the resurrection when we don't see Jesus as certain victory over death. Someone once gave uh, Rachel and I tickets to a Grizzly game sitting on the floor of the FedEx Forum. And when they gave us those tickets, they said, now take these tickets and there's a certain, there's a special place that you enter, you know, when you, when you have these tickets. And they said, just show the tickets to the attendant. So we did that. Didn't even know this little thing, this area existed. I showed the man my tickets. He opened this garage door. Down under the FedEx form we go to valet parking. He, he got out, took our keys, and said, hey, there's a red carpet. Follow the red carpet. We follow the red carpet. There was another person there. Can we see your tickets? Here are our tickets. All right, well, here's a wristband. Go in here. We've got a, a full buffet, an open bar. Everything's free. Just enjoy yourself. Have a great time. Enjoy ourselves, we go out, we come to the floor of the, the FedEx Forum, the basketball court, and there's somebody else standing there, what do they say? Let us see your tickets. Here are our tickets. All right, come on, follow me. They were sitting right on the floor, our feet are on the hardwood. I mean, we are, you know, it is awesome. At halftime, you know, we've already learned the drill, we better take our tickets, but let's go back to that buffet now, you know. <laughs> so we're walking in, kind of leading with our tickets. <laughs> Waiting for somebody to say, you don't belong here, because we didn't. I've been to many other games since that day. You know what? Everything in me wants to go back down to that parking space. Everything in me wants to go into that buffet. Everything in me wants to go to the court, but I don't do it. Why? Because I don't have the tickets. And I'd be foolish. It wasn't my pretty face and my charming personality that got me in. I had the tickets that somebody else bought and paid for. And I didn't deserve it. (laughs) And how presumptuous it would be for me to think that I did. Jesus said something. This is a game changer. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And he who lives and believes in me will live forever. What he's saying is if you have the tickets, if you believe, if you rest on him, 
If you understand it's not your good looks and it's not your, it's not your good looks that are going to get you in, it's not your bad looks that are going to keep you out. But here are the tickets. You walk humbly. You walk slowly. But you walk. And you know why that's important? You know why it's important to believe that? Because it changes your life now. Do you know what happened the day when they called and said, hey, do you want these tickets? I had other engagements, other commitments, and I lied, cheated, and still I got out of them all. <laughs> I'm going and I'm using these tickets. And buddy, I am dancing. I don't, I mean, I am, I called Rachel. We are going to the game tonight and we are sitting on the floor and we get to park under the form and there's a buffet. Pick your outfit out, honey. We are going. I mean, there was joy as if I had already attended the game. And I was calling people. As people called me, I don't care what they were talking about, I'd work it in. Oh, but, yeah, I don't know, man. I'll have to think about it, about meeting you in three months, because I'm going to the game tonight. And I'm sitting on the floor. Do you see what, what tickets do for you? I mean, people could invite me to many other things. I ain't going, huh, I'm going there. I'm going to the game. I got the tickets. You see how it's such a power against sin? I mean, yeah, that's attractive on any other day. If I didn't have this, if I wasn't going to the game, maybe. But I'm going to the game. I'm not wasting my time on that. Are you going to the game? I love it. This is neither self-help nor psychological feel-good philosophy. It's historical intellectual truth that when embraced by faith causes the emotional impact of fearless joy. Joy. Fearless joy. Paul says this in Romans 6, For if we have been united with Him like this in His death, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. Do you believe that you're going to live with Christ? Then live like it. Worship like it. Work like it. Love the people around you like it. You see, it's the church that needs to be reminded of the hope that we have in Him. And then more evidence that we lack faith in the resurrection is a lack of radical community. I was... I was the only white guy for a while at Miss Tina's funeral this past Thursday. And a little uncomfortable. I mean, not because of I'm white, my friends here are black, but because I don't understand all the cultural implications, you know, that I hadn't been, so I couldn't, there wasn't anybody else to kind of follow. I was called up to the front with all the other clergy. And I leaned over to Chris. I was like, man, they're going to make us preach? And he said, I don't know. If I knew we were going to be called up here, I'd want a tie, you know. And I, <laughs> so we're both shocked. 
But you know what? The service starts, and there's no white or black. We're believers in Jesus. We have the same hope. We talk the same language. We talk about heaven. We talk about sin. We talk about death. And we talk about Jesus. And that's no mistake. Remember how we started this, this sermon? If we're going to have unity, then what we have to have is a, is a common cause and a, and a shared Savior or hero. But if you look at the church today, you would never know that we have a common cause or a shared hero. And you say, oh, here we go. You know, Richard, you're the pastor of a multi-ethnic, multi-class church. This is just your pet peeve. and your Dear friends, no. The whole purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is to make one man, one body out of the two who were divided. Because what happened in the, in the fall, everything goes back to that. What happened is, when Adam and Eve um, um, ate the forbidden fruit, the very first thing they do is they realize they were naked, and so they immediately begin to justify themselves, make themselves feel better by putting clothes on. Now, how many people today, I'm telling you, people didn't come to this church today because they didn't think they had something appropriate to wear. I mean, it literally can go to that. Those without jobs, how do you feel around people who have jobs and they start talking about their jobs and they turn to you and say, so what do you do? We want, we want to fight, we want to make something up. Well, I mean, you know, why? Because our justification is in anything but Jesus. But Jesus came to say, I clothe the naked. The white naked, the black naked, the yellow naked, the red naked, the poor naked, the rich naked, the young naked, the old naked. I clothe the naked and I make one man out of the two. Do you see what Jesus said? Whoever believes. And He was talking to a racially charged um, audience and a culturally charged audience. Charged audience, there we go. When, when Paul in Romans said, all have sinned, who was he talking about? Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female, everybody that's divided in the culture, in Christ, all have sinned. I mean, excuse me, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and yet all are justified freely by His grace. And sadly, what we see today is Jesus is a top priority but it's just below cultural realities and comforts. See, Jesus blows away our cultural comforts and realities. Why? Because we aren't justified by what we wear. We aren't justified by the fact we have a job, or or we are not non-justified because we don't have a job. We're not justified because we have a Ph.D., and we're not non-justified because we can't read. We're not justified because we're white or black, or... We're justified through the finished work of Jesus Christ, and that makes one body out of two. And so, dear friends, we must move toward... If there is conflict in our relationship, then here's the reality. Jesus and His death and resurrection is not the central and supreme reality of that relationship. Because when it is, there's unity, not disunity and division.
So friends, as we leave here today, find somebody hurting and get with them. Your life may look radically different when you do that. If you find somebody hurting, you've got to slow down. You've got to visit people that can't get out of bed. They're not going to come to you. They may not be able to even talk on the phone. It's going to slow you down if you try to help somebody get a job or, or read. It, it, you're going to have to slow down to teach somebody the Bible or just share life with somebody and say, hey, let's just read the Bible together and pray. Let's just become friends because we're brothers or sisters in Christ. It's going to slow your life down. And you might suffer. But guess what? Jesus is coming. And you will be raised. And this life will be but a distant memory, if a memory at all. Is the resurrection of Jesus Christ your central commitment and love? If not, dear friend, would you embrace the risen Lord Jesus today that you might have the confidence that the Scriptures speak of, that you might literally stare death down, that you might, if you're told today that you will die, you can say, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? You have no hold on me. Jesus has all hold on me. If you want that kind of confidence, then believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. Would you come to Him today, and would you give your life to Him? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, forgive us for not believing, but give us faith. Oh God, would you help us believe today that you are risen. And that because you are risen, we will rise too. And there is nothing in this life that can hold us down or push us down. There's nothing that we're suffering that will last forever. Because you said you will make a new heaven and a new earth through your resurrection. You will make all things new. And so Father, give us hope. May we in the church today have joy and hope because of Jesus. Draw us higher up and deeper into Him. We beg of you, even this morning, but we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.